You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you as we dive into this familiar hymn, the 23rd Psalm. Our reading today is the 23rd Psalm in its entirety. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We talk about scripture as the word of God and we are right to do so, but the Psalms in particular are words to God or our response to God, words to God that we consider to be words of God. Psalms offer us a holy vocabulary. Sometimes these words can be inspiring giving us language to communicate with God. There are several different types of psalms. Uh, There are psalms of praise, like Psalm 8. O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Or Psalm 19 that says the heavens are telling the glory of God. But not all of the psalms are psalms of praise. Sometimes psalms are of lament or poems of great sadness like Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Psalm 42 that says, tears have been my food day and night. Some Psalms almost sound blasphemous when we read them out loud, like Psalm 44 where the poet is shaking his fist at God saying, you have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the people. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O God? I love the honesty of these words to God. Because some days, and I'm making an assumption, some days I'm sure we feel like this psalm, sometimes needing to shake our fist at God. And of course, sometimes there are psalms of thanksgiving, like Psalm 66, I will come into your house with burnt offerings, I will pay you my vows, those that my lips utter and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, like when I was reading Psalm 44. But now I'm in a place where I can 
enter into God's abundance and be thankful for where, I'm, where I am. Psalms of blessings and curses, psalms of wisdom, psalms of history. And today we have a psalm of journey. One of the most familiar passages in all of the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd and I invite you to walk with me through this psalm of journey. The Lord is my shepherd. I'd like you to say that to yourself in this moment. Just say it to yourself in this moment. And pay attention to what word you emphasize. It's one of those funny quirks with the English language that depending on what word you emphasize might change the meaning of the entire sentence. How are you saying this opening line of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd? Are you saying the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, which suggests that no other gods are before God, the Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, the Lord is my shepherd, which means it is not power that is your shepherd or influence or money or Caesar, the Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe you say to yourself, the Lord is my shepherd, which means that ultimately your concern about God is God's activity in the world. What is God doing in the world? Or maybe for you, this opening line of this journey is one of compassion and comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, intimate, personal. Or maybe you say the Lord is my shepherd because scripture doesn't say the Lord is my warrior or the Lord is my king in this instance. The Lord is my shepherd, which means the Lord guides, the Lord protects, the Lord offers the divine life. Shepherds lay down their life for their flock. And maybe that's how this phrase is meaningful to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in need of anything. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. I love how this, this says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord doesn't say, I recommend to you that you lie down in a green pasture. Or I encourage you because it is a good idea to lay down in a good pasture. No, I love it. it's, like, it's like in the Gospel of Mark, after Jesus is baptized, it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Spirit didn't ask. The Spirit didn't suggest. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Here, it is a sign of God's providence. It's a sign of God looking over us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Because, some, because we are stubborn people. And sometimes we have to be forced to take a break, to stop, to recognize that we are more important than the work we produce. It's a narrative that is sold to us constantly, that our only value is the value of our work. Not in God's kingdom, not in God's house. 
It's like this weekend. So uh, Christy and the kids are out of town this weekend. They are in Austin celebrating Christy's niece's first birthday, which meant that last night I got to watch a World War II movie by myself. I didn't have to get anybody juice. I didn't have to put any, anybody to bed. And it was amazing. Well, it's, I don't, I don't want to sell it too hard. They'll, they'll be back today. But I watched Greyhound. Have you seen Greyhound? Uh, it's on Apple TV, and it's, it's the story of Captain Ernest Krauss and the Battle of the Atlantic. And, of course, it's, in, it's not even based on a true story. It's inspired by a true story. It's the story of this captain where uh, as you're leaving the United States trying to get to England, and it's this great convoy of soldiers and supplies, there's a, a section of the Atlantic that is called the Black Pit, where there is no air cover. <coughs> Excuse me. And there are German U-boats. And these battleships in, the, in this convoy is essentially sailing blind. And this captain doesn't leave his post for days, doesn't eat, doesn't sit. And there's this moving moment where, where his feet are bleeding because he's been on the move. It's not that he was at his post for, for several days. As a parent, you've, you, know, you tend to be awake for days on end. He was awake and in charge and on call for days while under enemy fire. That amazing, stressful, tense-filled time. It's an amazing movie. And at the end of it all, uh, I, I, I don't want to, you know, spoilers, though it happened in 1944, so that's on you if you don't know the story. Uh, at the end, uh, when, when, when the Greyhound makes it through uh, the blockade, uh, past the wolf pack of, of U-boats, he finally calls for someone to take his post. And he retires to his cabin. And the rest of the men who are there finally realize, it finally clicks to them that he never left for days. But there's a hidden narrative in that story is that when the captain retires, he also carries with him regret because he realized that he never ate and he never slept and he stood at his post the whole time and albeit they made it, they lost more men than they needed to because his judgment was clouded. because he didn't sit in the green pasture for just a moment to revive, to recharge, to really be at the command. There's a moving moment where uh, the head uh, uh, cook in the galley would bring him his food every day and he kept refusing it. Well, the greyhound took on fire and, and the chef lost his life. And when the next chef chef who, who moved up in rank, brought him his food. He called him by the previous chef's name. And he carries that regret. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Because sometimes we don't trust that the world will rotate without us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here is, it's same, it's to the point, it's a place of peace and recognize that the water's only purpose there is to revive and to restore. The water is not moving, therefore you cannot build a mill there. The water is not a boundary of a nation or a border. It's not a moat that's keeping people out. The only purpose of the water there is to restore and to refresh. Take a break, 
sit. Do you think that you are in charge of creation? No, it is the Lord who is. And even the Lord took a day off. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters, waters only there to restore and to refresh. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I love this, paths of righteousness. It does not say he leads me in the path of righteousness, as if there is only one. Now, to be fair, we are reading poetry, and it is quite dangerous to read poetry literally. It's like explaining a joke. You miss the point if you read poetry too literally, right? A, a, a priest, a pastor, and a rabbit go into the bar, and the rabbit says, wait a minute, guys, I think I'm a typo, right? If you, thank you. Thank you, Rodney. I appreciate that. <sighs> If, if you answer that joke by saying, but wait a minute, rabbits don't talk, you, you're missing the point. It's a joke, right? If you read poetry too literally, you're missing the point of poetry. Now, with that said, it is not he leads me in the path of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness, which means there are more. Than, people ask me this often, Pastor, what is my purpose? What is God calling me to do? And my first answer is always Micah 6.8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what is required of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. But no, am I supposed to be a teacher? Am I supposed to be a doctor? Am I supposed to drive a school bus? What am I supposed to do? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And as you begin to share your talents with the world, it will make sense to you of where best you can do justice, love kindness, and walk with God. I will be surprised. I have several questions when I get up to heaven. I will be surprised if I see a ledger with everyone's name on it and it says, John Smith, architect, between the years of 41 and 72. It's quite a specific plan. Scripture doesn't say you are to be a doctor, you are to be a lawyer, you are to be a parent. But it does say he's already told you what's good and what is required of you. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. There are paths of righteousness. When we commune with God, there is more than one way to get there. Paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And there's this language of leading, right? He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And if you want to be Methodist about it, this is that pervenient grace of God that God moves before we do. God moves first. God claims us before we know to claim God. He leads me down these places. God is not going to send you anywhere that God hasn't been. He leads me. By the grace of God, we follow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you hear the movement in that? Yea, though I walk through the valley, it is not a place to dawdle. It is not a place to tarry. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley. It's not like the green pastures where God says, stop, take a break, sit down. Stop thinking that the world depends on you. The valley is not where we sit and dawdle. (laughs) We move through the valley. And I love the honesty of this. It doesn't say there is no evil in this valley, doesn't it? It says, I will fear no evil. There's a great difference between the presence of evil and the lack of fear in it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In him was light and the light and in him was life and the life was light and light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it doesn't say that there aren't dark places nor does it say that we will avoid the valleys during our story here on earth but it does say with God's help fear will not overtake us fear will not paralyze us and if the Easter season teaches us anything When our story ends with life, there is nothing to fear. For thou art with me. That's the center of the psalm. If you take that phrase and count up and you take that phrase and count down, thou art with me is the center of this poem. That's what the poet wants you to know. For God is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff. A rod shoes away the wolves of the world and the staff gets us unstuck from the bramble bushes when we get distracted. These are weapons of defense, not offense. God does not go before us and attack the pack of wolves. Rather, protects us from them. Should we follow in God's footsteps? Thou art with me. And it is a comfort. It's a beautiful thing about this. It doesn't say thou art with me and therefore I will fear you. God's presence with us is a comfort. Or I hope for you it is. And then the psalm takes a turn. We've been on this journey uh, being forced to lay down in green pastures even though we want to be on the move by the still waters to be restored, walking through the valley, recognizing that God has been with us the whole time. And then the psalm takes a turn. We go into the sanctuary of the temple. We go into God's house. On the other side of the valley is the Lord's table. God prepares a table for us. And not only does God prepare a table for us, God prepares a table for us in the presence of of our enemies. And before we think that this is a nanny nanny boo boo kind of moment where God prepares food for us and then our enemies watch us eat and be full, why do you think there's only one chair at this table? Could it be that after our struggles and after walking through the valley and after recognizing that God is with us, our enemies are not as antagonistic as we might have thought when we recognize that our enemies too have gone through a valley? And that God, too, is with them as well. It's one of those lessons when we start reading the Bible that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And those of us who consider ourselves just, it really makes us mad. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Could it be that as we enter into the sanctuary of God, we are called to eat with one another? 
even the people we think are enemies. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and could it be that there's more than one chair there? Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That anointing is you being chosen by God, you being counted as God's own, as royalty, to inherit the kingdom. A kingdom that is reserved for the least of these. A kingdom that is reserved for the poor to have a seat at the table. God anoints us with oil so that we might lead in the world. The point of being a king is not to sit and get everything you want. The point is to lead, to be an example, to be a living sacrifice in the world. Thou anointest my head with oil because God has chosen us to shine Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. I love that phrase so much because finally when we are in the presence of God, we understand abundance. We understand that there is more. And the point isn't to hoard what is dripping over our cup. The point is to, hey, my cup runneth over. Grab your cup so that we might not lose anything. My cup runneth over so that I can share and so that I will still be full Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's not that goodness and mercy are grabbing on to our coattails, trying to hang on, trying to keep up. It's rather goodness and mercy is what we leave in our wake. It's like a a bloodhound trying to find someone. What we leave behind is goodness and mercy. How do you know that the people of Asbury have been there? Is because you find goodness and mercy after they have left. Or to put it another way, leave it better than you found it. Leave it better than you found it. And that goes for everything. The earth, that goes for your relationships, that goes for your Bible study, it goes for the PTA. Leave it better than you found it. Leave goodness and mercy behind wherever you go. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This last phrase of this hymn, of this psalm, is the only part of the psalm that's in the future tense. Everything else is in the present. Everything else is a present reality. God is with me. God makes me lie down. Yea, though I walk through, not have walked, yea, though I walk through the valley, God prepares a table. And then we get to the end, and it's the only thing that's in the future because that is our hope. We hope that goodness and mercy follows us wherever we go. We hope that we will dwell with God forever and ever. Amen. Let us cling to that. It doesn't say, I hope for power and influence and money in the good life. I wish it did. (laughs) I so wish it did. But our hope is to be with God and to be known for our goodness and to be known for our mercy. I'll leave you with this. This is a poem um, that I ran across this week by Victoria Stafford. Let me offer this to you. Our mission 
is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope. Not the prudent gates of optimism, which are somewhat narrow, nor the stalwart, boring gates of common sense, nor the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges, nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gate of everything is going to be all right, but a very different, sometimes lonely place, the place of truth-telling about your own soul first of all and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world both as it is and as it could be, as it might be, as it will be, the place from which you glimpse not only struggle but joy in the struggle, and we stand there, beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing and asking people what they see. So I ask you, how do you say that opening line of the hymn, the Lord is my shepherd? Is it that you'll have no other gods? Is it that the Lord and not Caesar is your Lord? Are you concerned with the activity of God? Is it compassionate that God is your shepherd? Or is it that God is one of providence and protection? There are paths of righteousness. Sometimes your path starts with the. Sometimes your path starts with Lord. Sometimes your path begins with is. Sometimes your path begins with my. Sometimes your path begins with shepherd. They all lead to God. Pick one and start walking. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Lord, our shepherd, the one who provides, the one who protects, give us the courage to lie down knowing that the world does, in fact, spin without us. Give us the drive to then stand up and to walk through the valley, neither dawdling nor tarrying, so that we might enter into your abundance, a place where friend and enemy alike are called to break bread with one another, a place where we are anointed to lead, a place where we will dwell in eternity leaving only goodness and mercy in our wake. Father, we give you thanks that you are with us. Give us the strength and courage to follow. We pray this in the, na in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.